Our passage this morning comes from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 40, verses 30 through 37. It begins with the transitional verse that takes him out of Nazareth and from their murderous intent and sends him to Capernaum. Uh, Before I read, though, let's go to the Lord in prayer that he would bless the reading and preaching of his word. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Christ. And we thank you that you have not hid yourself from us, that you have revealed unto us yourself, your will, and also your love in Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Father, that you inspired the evangelist Luke, that he might write these words by your Holy Spirit, infallible for our instruction. And we ask that you would give us the same Holy Spirit this morning, that we might take these words to heart, and that these words might find in our heart, prepared by your Spirit, a good soil, that we might not uh, fling it away, uh, that we might not take this word in a shallow way, that we might not take this word uh, in distraction and put it alongside the words of the world, that rather it would reign in our heart and that it would produce the fruit of repentance from sin, the fruit of a firm faith and trust in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the fruit of obedience to Him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 40, uh, verses 30 through 37. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way and came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. And they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commanded the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever. And his people said, Amen. The delivery of the Capernaum Denoniac, the, the man that has possessed of of, the, of a demon, of an unclean spirit, or the unclean spirit of a demon, or uh, the spirit of an unclean demon, however you want to uh, phrase that, is one of the early works uh, recorded of Jesus Christ in Galilee. Oh, there are others. Uh, we know the first miracle that he did uh, in his open ministry was that at the wedding feast of Cana uh, that John gives us later. We know that he was already working miracles in Galilee and Capernaum because of the response of uh, the, Nazare- the Nazarites uh, to his preaching and, and his message that we see earlier in the chapter uh, mentions that. Uh, he'd say, physician, heal thyself. Do those works here in your own country that you did in Capernaum and other parts. Uh, but the gospel writers, particularly Mark, who's the other one that uh, 
that has this particular miracle, start us off here and unite with it also uh, what comes next and follows after the the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, and then also a a general statement then of of his work and the power of his words in in Galilee uh, around about, particularly in Capernaum. And we see many things here. We see things that we don't see in the Old Testament very often, things that we don't see in our, at least not with the eyes that we we look upon, uh, things that we don't see in this world. And even if you study church history, we see things here in the ministry of Jesus Christ that we don't often see uh, uh, present itself. And one of those things, and primarily that thing that we see, is the prevalence of demonic possession. And we see this not throughout all even of the New Testament. That it is there, it is there in the book of Acts as it goes forth, but uh, we notice it less and less. There are several theories for this. Uh, I think one of the, the, the simplest thing is, is that the coincidence that Christ is raised in the fullness of time... When also there was a great prevalence of the dominion of the devil and evil spirits is not coincidental. Uh, That this is an intentional thing and it can be viewed and we don't want to be overly dogmatic on which prevails, but they're not mutually exclusive views that that this is part of the fullness of time that uh, the Lord, as he often did, let the world and particularly Israel after the flesh, his church. Uh, build up for itself her iniquity that he might come in judgment and in power that his power might be seen the more clearly. This is what he did, by the way, when his people were in Egypt and, and the, the Canaanites were filling up their iniquity so that when he gave them the land, they could be ruthless because they were the instrument of his judgment against them. And therefore, they could inherit the land clean and start over in a very similar sense as the land was given to Noah and his sons. Uh, A land cleansed uh, from the buildup of iniquity that went before. It could also be, because the devil is a great ape, that when the Son of God came in the flesh, that the devil thought that he would do his part in copying And as he could not do what God can do, he nevertheless sent what he could try at it, uh, his unclean spirits to exercise a greater and more personal and intimate dominion uh, over those uh, that would come in his way. But regardless of how and why, we do see that there was a great dominion in the world at the time, even in the cradle of God's a church of unclean devils. And so we want to look at this, and we want to look at this primarily in the work of Jesus Christ and the work of the devil here, because it will often be referred back to. There will be things and notices taken by Luke that, that are here more plain and, and less abbreviated, although the count itself is quite quite short. There will be times when he expands on it as well, but having the the sort of normative account that we have, 
uh, will help us look at that as well. Uh, We see, first and foremost, that the spirits that are set against the Lord Jesus Christ are spirits that are set against all that is holy. The the term is unclean. Uh, Mark uses the term unclean spirits pretty regularly. Uh, All the gospel writers use demons. Uh, Here, uh, Luke is pretty unique in putting uh, the three words together, the spirit of an unclean demon. Uh, Not that there were clean demons, mind you. Uh, But he's telling us not just what they were, but, but what quality they were. And these are spirits that are set against holy. This is the reason why unclean spirit is used, uh, or is, is part of the same reason why the word holy spirit is applied to the third person of the Godhead. Uh, that there is a spirit of life, and there is a spirit that leads us higher, and there is a spirit that, that liberates us from the bondage, not of the created world, so to speak, because there are created spirits, but for the bondage of the corruption that is there. But the fact that there is a bondage to corruption indicates that there is corrupting spirits. Now, this is what the devil is. This is what the devil was when he came in the serpent to the Garden of Eden and he looked upon man and woman in their innocence and looked upon their righteousness and then began to deceive. And twist first the words of God and the commandments of God, then their own heart, and then he brought forth their ruin, the corruption of the image of God that was in man. And so he too is an unclean spirit. And we see that wherever these unclean spirits are possessed of people, and that in and of itself, what does demonic possession mean? is one of these things that, uh, that is a, 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 an odd theological question and even uh, a, a, a question that is, is quite vexing to get at exactly. But to be possessed of somebody doesn't necessarily mean that they're puppets, uh, but that, that they are completely possessed with, or they are occupied with, are controlled by, in a very real sense, and dominated by, this corrupting spirit. And every time we see this, we see the corruptions that are there, the corruptions of decency, the corruptions of order and humanity. It's not described here by Luke, but he does give it. If you turn to chapter 8, where we have the Gadarene demoniac, uh, there's two of them, but Luke, Luke gives us, uh, focuses us upon one, uh, the one who speaks. And uh, he says in chapter eight twenty seven, there went forth of t- uh, when he went forth to the land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils long time, and he wore no clothes and neither abode in any house but in the tombs. We read, and in thirty five, after he is healed and delivered, uh, we get this contrasting statement in verse thirty five. They went out to see what was done, and they came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed. And in his right mind, they were afraid. If you turn to Acts chapter 19, you get a a somewhat of an amusing, uh, but also scary uh, uh, event where you see these Jewish magicians and exorcists and and occultists, basically, or the proto-occultists, 
using the hearing the name Jesus and taking it as a magical charm in Acts chapter 19, verses 13 through 16, note the effects of this unclean spirit and how he reigns. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We abjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of Siva, a Jew, and chief of the priest, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. There is in these descriptions uh, the, the, the constant reference back to, to nakedness, which in Scripture always carries the connotation outside of, oh, well, out, outside of the state of innocence, uh, that of shame. And, and usually implies much else, that he dwelt in the tombs, the Gadarene did. Uh, this probably means that the Gadarene demoniacs, because there were more than one, there was two of them at least, uh, that, they were, uh, that they were nasty people, they were chained, they were great strength, they would always break their chains. Uh, they would go and, and dwell among corruption and unclean places like tombs. Very likely, they desecrated tombs and were necrophages, that is, those that eat the corpses and uh, that sort of thing. This was a, something that was noted in the ancient world, the people that were particularly um, taken with the evil one. You see it also uh, in, again, their, their, their wild conditions. In the, the Old Testament... Uh, when judgment is brought upon Israel, you think of places like Isaiah 34 and others, uh, they are told that they will be made desolate, that the regions that God has blessed will be desolate, and they will be the haunts and the, the habitations of evil spirits and, and satyrs and Lilith and, and all sorts of howlers and things. And modern translations, some of them tend to downplay the supernatural there and, and try to find naturalistic equivalents to all these words. But they aren't. These are the haunts, the haunts of devils and unclean things. They are not civilized. That The expression, though it's not found in Scripture and is not terribly uh, instructive of, of scriptural things, and yet there is a truth to it, that cleanliness is next to godliness. There is, in a society sanctified by the Lord, a concern uh, not just for spiritual cleanness, but that often manifests itself physically because we are body and soul. And we can't honestly say that we have a heart that desires cleanliness and a body that delights in perversion and nastiness. It's not to say that everybody has a little dirt on them and is unclean. Just go and, and look at the spiritual heritage of, of two of the South's old cities, uh, uh, Charleston in South Carolina with its, its uh, ancient Protestant devout uh, community, and New Orleans uh, with perhaps a devout community, but of, of, of a different sort of Roman Catholic. And you see, structurally, they're very similar. But there's a filth to one that is even today noticeable. It won't be terribly long before there will be a filth in both. 
Because once you start to take for granted your heritage, uh, you do fall. The fact is, spiritual realities also express themselves in physical realities. The Lord knows this. This is why we are not Quakers or we're not ultra-spiritualists. We're not Gnostics that shun everything that is bodily. Uh, We clothe ourselves. Even though Adam and Eve were without shame in the garden, we know that we are not them. We commune with the Lord and His body, not just in word, but we do so with bread and the cup. That we are spiritually cleansed. We make positive sure that there is also water applied. That there would be a a conjunction, a, a, a pattern that goes between our spiritual reality and our bodily reality. This is what the sacraments are. They are the visible signs of invisible spiritual grace. And they are not to no purpose, but are deeply necessary for us, or God would not have given them. But the devils come and corrupt all that. And we see that here in this passage. Jesus is specifically said in verse 32 to be in Capernaum, in the synagogue, on the Sabbath days, preaching. And in comes, and he could have been there already, but the way Mark records, records this passage, it, it, it gives the impression that, that he pops in, that he's interrupting, that straightway he appears. And he disrupts the holy day and the holy service. This is part of his uncleanness. This is part because the, the, in Scripture, the opposite of holy is unclean. Uh, that's the way it works. Uh, You have the holy foods, you have the unholy foods. You have the clean animals and the unclean animals. Uh, So we see that this corrupting influence there. We also see that that these devils are, are cruel hosts to those that they have in bondage. They are not kind masters. And their corruption is not just external and to the things of the Lord and to the things of holiness in their society, but they are internal also to the ones that they possess. We see this hinted at in verse 35, even though it's immediately taken away, that the devil cast him down in the midst of them as he came out of them, that he sought to do the man harm that he had so much controlled. He sought to scare and frighten those in the synagogue. He thought to bring violence upon Jesus' power, but we're told that he's been robbed of it. And because of Christ, he suffers no harm. We see this also, though, a little differently in chapter 9, in, in the, the child of the, uh, the man after they come down from the, the, the uh, Mount of Transfiguration in chapter 9, verse 32. 38, excuse me. Behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is my only child. And lo, a spirit taketh him, and he suddenly crieth out, and it teareth him, and he foameth again, and bruising him, hardly departeth from him. In Matthew 17, 15, we learn, because it's a parallel passage, that also this unclean spirit would cast the boy into the fire, and he would cast the boy into the water, seeking to drown him and burn him, and would do so to him. 
But this is a cruel bondage. Uh, the men that were taken in Gadara, that lived not pleasant lives, the tombs were not comfortable living places. We see this in the devil's own temptation of Jesus Christ. In the, in the, the final uh, Temptation is recorded by Luke in verse 9. He brought him up to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. He's going to quote scripture to say, I know your angels will prevent you from dashing your foot against the stone. But notice that the form exactly of the temptation is Jesus commits suicide. Jesus, dash your head against the stones. Try it out. There is a cruelty in the way that the devil approaches things. There's a harshness to it. And you should be thinking right now. We'll get to it in a bit, but you should be thinking right now. Can I see these signs in the world today? Do I see a shameless perversion and a love of what is ugly and dirty, and nasty in the world? I'm going to just ask you the question. I'm not even going to bother to answer it for you because you should know the answer to that. Do you see what is self-harmful, destructive in the world, and yet see it being promoted and advertised and propagandized as something good, almost with, with a straight face, knowing at the same time it will be your ruin? If you see this in the world, that you know you see a world under the power of the spirit of an unclean devil. That's a sure sign. And we see it everywhere. Everywhere. We see also that this devil has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Let us alone, verse 34. We have nothing to do with thee. Uh, literally, what is us to thee? It's, it's a separating sort of phrase, idiom, in the, in the Aramaic of the day, and translated into Greek and translated into English. Hey, we get it this way. What are we to do with thee, Jesus of Nazareth? We have nothing to do with thee. Go away. Be gone with you. As if, as if Jesus intruded his space. Jesus will intrude their spaces. Jesus goes to Gadara. He goes to the tombs of the gathering demoniacs. He seeks them out to liberate them. But here, he's being accosted and told to go away because he can't abide by him. This is that weird sort of feature. We find that Jesus is almost a magnet to these things. And we wonder, we wonder if this is something uh, that that the devil is planning to do to to ruin or to besmirch Jesus' ministry. Or we wonder if, if this is the grace and mercy of the Lord God bringing unto Christ uh, the Father, bringing unto his Son those that, that will benefit from his ministry. And again, the answer is, why not both? But clearly, this unclean spirit, what he sees is the holiness of God. Thou art the Holy One of God. In the Greek, the one is assumed. It's thou art the Holy, the God. 
This is what you are. This is what I see. And I, this, there's, nothing, there's nothing between us. There's nothing to link us together. It is God's holiness he sees, and it is God's holiness that he cannot bear. Just as John tells Nicodemus, in chapter, John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. And he goes on to say, For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. And this man in his sins and the dominion of his sins probably wouldn't have come to Jesus, but the evil, unclean spirit had other purposes. But this is, nevertheless, that aversion is there. And it is clear. And he recognizes that he is destroyed. The word, have you come to destroy us? Uh, Art thou come to destroy us? Can also be made a statement, it's, it's a little unclear in the Greek, thou art come to destroy us, to ruin us, to end us. And he recognizes that I mean, he's not going to be wiped out existentially because he has judgment for him, but he is destroyed because he cannot do as he would like to do. He cannot do his wickedness, so he counts himself as destroyed. The sinner, Wyatt, will not repent because once he understands what repentance is, recognizes that it is a giving up of that which he loves, and he will not do it. Not without a change of heart that comes from the Holy Spirit. Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 14, Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not into the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away, for they sleep not except they have done some mischief. And their sleep is taken away unless they cause some to fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the just is as a shining light. The light shines more and more into the perfect day. The way of, wicked is, wickedness, the, way of the wicked is as darkness. And they know not what it they stumble. But that idea there, and, and particularly in verse, uh, in verse 16 and 17, that they can't be satisfied. They can't get good sleep. They can't get themselves settled until they have done some wickedness. Is a description of the heart that is set on sin. It's a description of your heart and my heart when we give ourselves over to that and we do not resist the devil. It is the, 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 the unhappy circumstances of this present life of our probation and discipline when we still have a little bit of the old man as well as the new man within us and we war and fight. It's what gives us our, our misery, not absolute misery, but what gives us our humility when we recognize this, but to those that have not the new life in them. The great danger is that this sin will get full control and, they, and it's not the same sin for everyone. But they will not count their life fulfilled until they have run headstrong unto it. And this the devil articulates by saying, you have come to destroy us. You have come to destroy what we delight in. You have come to destroy our way. But he is not without certain craft. And so he brings forth and makes plain what he knows. I know who thou art, the Holy One of God. 
And we might say, why is the devil making a confession here? And we might also wonder why Christ himself silences him and never gives credence to these things. Because the devil is crafty. The, the evil, unclean spirit is a crafty, unclean spirit, like his master is the devil in the garden. And so he would sully the name of Christ by association. You know, the, the people don't know who Christ is. The people may wonder. Uh, the people might hear John the Baptist say, that's the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. He's the one that comes after me, of whose shoe lies I'm not worthy to unloose. They might see, because Christ is careful not to proclaim and preach himself directly, but indirectly, to look at his works and see his fruit and come bottom up, as it were, to the recognition that here amongst them is God in the flesh. Here amongst them is the one who is the promise to them, their Savior, their Redeemer, the Messiah. But just as the devil offered a a compromise and said, look, you do me a little homage And I'll give you all these dominions that I have gotten to myself. So here the devils are are attempting a certain shortcut. They say you could take the praise of the Holy One of God. You could take the praise of the Son of God, which you are, and it's yours by right. If you take it from our mouth. And to know that this was not an unwise plan. You can read chapter 11, verse 15, and know that it got at least an occasion amongst the Pharisees and others to dismerch Jesus' name to say that he cast out devils by the power of the devil. That he cast out Beelzebub by the power of Beelzebub. That he was a wizard and a conjurer and an exorcist like Siva, the son, or the sons of Siva, was in Acts 13. But he wasn't. Conjuring and invoking prayers and rites and pacts with the devils, as was the practice we know by the Talmud of the Jewish wizards and witches and and, uh, magicians, quote, uh, of the day. And this is why the people wondered, because they saw the word preached with power, and then they see the power of that word preached demonstrated. Verse 32 and verse 36 are connected together. What word is this? For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. Christ does destroy the perversions of his holy works. He doesn't accept for an instant the unclean testimony of the devil. He says, he rebukes him. And he says, hold thy peace, be quiet, and come out of him. And that's what happens. And the devil would hurt But Christ will heal. He throws the man down, but there's no pain and no hurt, no injury done to the man because there was no authority or propriety or ownership left to the spirit in that man. Because the authority and the power were in Christ. Because there was no power and authority left and is no, to this day, power and authority left to the devil. He will work by the permission of God. He will work in the world that gives no heed unto Christ. But when Christ comes in authority, he is undone and cast out and cannot hurt. What the Lord is doing here is proclaiming his authority over hell. 
And it is why when the, the, the synoptic writers are giving this little collection of miracles done in Capernaum right at first, they start with the demoniac. They start with the grand problem, the problem of hell. Then they get to the problem of our mortality with Peter's mother-in-law. And then they get to the generosity of the Lord when it becomes more general. There's a hierarchy here. He has power and authority in all these things. But it helps and behooves us to know that the strongest of them is the one that is first cast down. And so his power over the devils reveals, by the way, the power of Christ's word, his gospel today. Because there is a connection in verse 36 to verse 32. It is that word of power that he preached that is also the word of power that cast out devils, means that as that word of power is proclaimed today, it does the same when it is received. The authority of the Holy One of God is set against all uncleanness. The devil is an unclean spirit. He is a liar, first off. And then he tempts you with, with delights that do not delight. He tempts you with a liberty and a freedom that is not free. It is a bondage. He tempts you with prosperity and well-being that is misery, ugliness. He tempts you with life. You've got to live your life, man. He says you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. He says, youth is for the time of of living and doing and enjoying all the experiences of life. And every time he uses the word life, he means death. Because what he offers unto you is a lie. It is bitter fruit. It will ruin you. It will destroy you. It will shame you. And we see this writ large and underlined in those that he possesses completely. But make no mistake, it's true of all that he has any foothold in, including you and I as we give over unto that old man that is undone in Jesus Christ. You can embrace a world of perversion, a world of iniquity, a world of constant entertainment, a world that is miserable, and a world that is dead, or you can embrace the life of the gospel in Jesus Christ. But you cannot have both of them. You cannot serve two masters, because you will love the one and hate the other. And indeed, if you're trying to make two masters, you're already listening to the lies of Satan, and the love of the world will choke out what little fruit that you thought you might have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When he delivers you from the world, he doesn't do so by halfway. And so if you find yourself in the dominion of the world, though you long for the deliverance, then your only recourse is to seek it from his hand, to repent as he has told you, and to cling to him, to pray that he would give you the power 
That you would see the power of His Word. We know that He answers the prayers that are according to His will, and it cannot be His will that His Word has no power. So pray. He hates sin. He said against all uncleanness. You want to know that the Lord hears your prayer? Ask for victory over sin in Jesus Christ. Because how can that be against his will? It's not. And he will answer it if you need it. Jesus' word is with power. He says in John 6, 63, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The spirit of uncleanness will bring you to the metaphorical ground. It will make a beast out of you. It will ruin you. It will blind you to the higher things, the beautiful things, the glory of eternity. And it will have you wallowing in the mud and delighting therewith. And repentance will not look pleasant to such a one. It never is to the heart that is possessed of sin. But it is our way. Faith is turning from the unclean, the unholy, the vanity, and turning unto life in Jesus Christ. And we should note, it looks like it's going to harm us. It looks like the cross that we carry will be our ruin. It looks like the way of Jesus Christ, which is explicitly to deny ourselves and take up the cross and follow him, will be one of a drag of misery and and of defeat. And the devil will reinforce that. But Jesus says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And when we look at the devils that are cast out, they cannot harm or do ill to those that once they had power over. It's not to say in the world that you won't suffer, but it will be that suffering of the chastisement of the Lord which will do you good. But you will not be harmed. Even those things, you will look upon them as working for good that God does for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That we were chastised for a little bit. That we might not grow up unto our sin, but grow up unto the holiness of God. And that we might not know anymore the uncleanness of the wicked one. That we might see through the lies and illusions and false promises of the devil. That we might not delight in his distractions. That we would find our fill in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Christ. And we confess indeed that we live in a world that has given itself over, often presumptuously, having a goodly heritage unto that which is not good, to which is perverse and unclean and destructive. We live in a society addicted to death, a society addicted to misery, 
A society that is addicted to hate and calls it love. Destruction and calls it peace. We ask, Father, that you would deliver us from such a world. That you would deliver us from such an evil. That you would deliver us from such a spirit. And give us the fullness of your Holy Spirit. That he might bring forth the eternal fountains of life in Jesus Christ. That we might be unto you a peculiar people. Zealous of good works. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.